Hi, welcome to Beyond the Paper Gown. I'm Dr. Mitzi Crockover. If you're new to the podcast, I want to welcome you. And for those who are returning, good to have you back with us. I want to invite all of you to check out our website at beyondthepapergown.com, where you can share your comments, find articles on the topics we cover here, and sign up for our newsletter. We've also been creating some great social media posts lately on Instagram and TikTok, so check them out and let us know what you think. And just a reminder that while our goal is to inform and educate, our podcast is not intended as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. So if I asked you the question, what's the number one killer of women in the United States, what would you answer? If you said heart disease, you'd be right. One in five women die of coronary artery disease where a blockage in the blood vessels results in injury to the heart muscle. It's a common condition, unfortunately, affecting 1 in 16 women aged 20 and older, or 6.2% of American women. And approximately 2.6 million women have heart failure. Yet many women are not aware of their risk or may be dismissed by healthcare providers when they complain about their symptoms. And outcomes for women are worse than those for men. Today, we'll talk to the CEO of a nonprofit organization whose mission is to improve the lives of women with or at risk for heart disease while fighting for equity in heart health. Today, we have a very special guest, Selena Gore, who is CEO of Woman Heart, which is the largest patient-centered organization that is focused on women and heart disease. Welcome, Selena. Thank you so much. So happy to have you because it is such, heart disease is such an important issue for women. I think that it uh, gets lost in translation, if you will, as to how prevalent heart disease is. So let's go ahead and start that. I'm sure you have statistics for us. Yeah. So um, if, if I could just sort of start at the start, um, of course. The, the organization uh, was founded um, 23 years ago in 1999 because of three women having really unacceptable experiences in their heart disease diagnosis. Um, and that sort of the, you know, cemented the, the reason for being of the organization Um and we do three things. We support women living with or at risk of heart disease uh, with support groups, both in person and on online. We educate women and the general population, really, about the unique needs and experiences of women with heart disease. And we advocate um, as a Washington, D.C.-based organization. We bring the voices of patients to lawmakers so that they can be informed when they make decisions about research, healthcare, quality, and access for, for women. Um, but to, to get to, to um, the question you asked about statistics, there's, there, there's not a lot of good news there. Um, you know, despite the increase in awareness over the last several decades, we are still only at about 50% of the women, a little over 50% of the women, knowing and understanding that heart disease is their number one killer. I don't like to. I don't like it to, to make it a battle between heart disease and and breast cancer. But in terms of airtime and market share, let's say of attention, mm -hmm. um, I think most the vast majority of people would say that breast cancer is the number one killer of, of women, uh, when in fact it is heart disease. 
Um, heart disease is the leading cause of death, um, like I said, um, killing you know the, the vast majority of, of women every year um, in this country, in the U.S., and in other countries around the world. Um, it's also the leading cause of death uh, for African-American women and white women. Um, and the incidence and prevalence uh, is, is really much higher in certain communities of color uh, because they're... Um, the risk factors associated with those communities are also much greater. Um, and so, you know, this is, this is something that Women Heart pays attention to. Uh, and we talk about heart disease in all of its different forms. You know, you read my mind because I was, as an internist, I think about heart disease writ large. Yeah. I think most of what we're concerned about, if you will, um, is cardiovascular disease, you know, blockage of an artery, yes. can't get enough blood to the heart, heart yes. and heart attacks ensue. But there's other forms of heart disease. So right. talk a little bit about uh, your perspective on what is most threatening to women. Well, you know, it, it is, uh, I think the number one threat to women as it relates to heart disease is unfortunately our lack of awareness that we are at risk. Um, you know, we heart disease and in particular heart attacks look often look different between men and women. The symptoms are different. And unfortunately, the symptoms in women are often um, uh, uh, kind of generic fatigue, nausea. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily look like what I call the Hollywood heart attack of the clutching of the chest. Uh, and, and so, you know, it, it becomes something that um, is really easy to be dismissed, both by ourselves and by healthcare providers, frankly. Um, but I think that in terms of diagnoses, the things that we are finding to be um, uh, a, a real threat to, to women's uh, quality of life are heart failure, uh, which which is a consequence right of of heart disease um, or perhaps other comorbidities uh, that a woman might experience, whether that be diabetes or um, smoking or prolonged obesity. Um, you know there there are a lot of factors that would contribute to a diagnosis of heart of, of heart failure, and it is. Um, it, it looks different to cardiovascular disease, as, as you just pointed sure. out. I'm and just so. to, to underline that, so heart failure yeah. is basically when the muscle that is the heart doesn't pump enough blood. Right, right. It, and I, I really don't like, I'm not, I'm not happy with that name uh, because it sure. doesn't, it, it's not an appropriate explanation of what's happening. You're absolutely right. The muscle is essentially weakened and the ability to, to pump is um, compromised. Uh, and and unfortunately, it's one of these diagnoses that happens far too late to be able to, to do anything meaningful in terms of treatment. Um, but let's go back to cardiovascular disease. You mentioned blockages as, as sort of the main thing that we're looking for. Um, but we also know that there are things um, that are a little bit more prevalent in women that are not necessarily blockages like SCAD, spontaneous coronary arterial dissection. Um, and 
we are still learning more and more about it. Uh, it's it is you know it's is as the Brits would say it's is it is what it says on the tin. It is spontaneous, <laughs> um, and it basically is the is the you know dissection or the opening of of um, of a coronary artery. So, you know this this is something that um, more and more cardiologists are paying attention to and studying. And uh, the fact that it is much more prevalent in, in women, uh, you know, means that it's it's a particular concern to women heart. Sure. And, you know, you, you alluded to the fact that the Hollywood heart attack is someone, usually a white male, coming in and clutching the chest. I learned that that was called the Levine or Levine sign, if depending on how you pronounce it in medical school. And that was because most, if not all, of the research was done on 70 kilogram white males. And so I, yeah. that's been a big challenge, right, in terms of uh, both identifying the fact that women do have heart attacks and that they do suffer from cardiovascular disease, but also the impact on treatment. And I'm yes. assuming that you all uh, address that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I uh, I was on a panel earlier today and, you know, we were talking about words uh, and what difference uh, the, the, the patient experience can be when you use different words. Apparently, men tend to use the word pain when describing what they're going through and men, uh, women tend to use the, the word pressure, which is a little bit less intense dramatic. and urgent and right, dramatic exactly. yeah and i think part of that is you know as we were talking it was this it was a panel on women and heart disease in general women tend to downplay whatever they're going through and so heart disease is no exception to that whereas I, you know i i don't want to general overgeneralize but you know men probably when they have a pain they want to get it addressed and and, and looked at i've heard far too many women say to me Selena, I I didn't go to the ER despite having these symptoms because I I didn't know when to put it in my schedule. I was far too busy. It's far I have, too busy to go to the ER. I'm laughing only because um, there was a great. Uh, I was almost like a public service announcement that Elizabeth Banks did. I don't know if you ever saw that. And she's playing a mom and she's getting everybody ready. She's a professional woman, so she's got mm -hmm. her suit on. That She's getting her husband out the door. She's getting her kids out the door. She's feeling, you can see that she's got some arm pain, that she's nauseated. But she even gets to the point where she's got to take the crust off the kids, you know, peanut butter sandwich. How many of us have, you know, been there? And she's, you know, sweating profusely. And it's not until she literally literally collapses that anybody calls for help because she's been minimizing. I'm fine. I'm fine. And so I thought that was such a great depiction of and it. And it's not necessarily a, an exaggeration. No, it is. It is an experience that I think many women have have gone through. Um, and so part of what we do when we talk about advocacy is encouraging women to advocate for themselves in their homes. Uh, at their doctor's offices in the ER, uh, that is that has to be part of what we talk about. That you know, it's it's I don't. It's not that I'm saying that we blame women. That that that's far from it. But I think the way we've been socialized, sort of society, tells us that what we do is tough it out. And it's so important because, again, you probably know the stats, uh, the most recent stats better than I, but when a woman goes to the ER with a heart attack, 
they are more likely to have worse outcomes. This is literally, That's right. um, you know, a matter of life and death. Yeah. So it's very yeah. important not only for her to know something's wrong, but to be able to communicate that or that the that the providers know that that's something that's wrong. One of my favorite cardiologists who's on our scientific advisory committee always says, it's better to be embarrassed than to not be here anymore. Absolutely. Amen. Um, so it, that's, that's a, you know, I, I want to put that in, in folks' minds that, you know, if you go to the ER and it actually is nothing, let's say, it's much better to go home with, with your tail between your legs than it is to, to not be here anymore. Um, and if you are in doubt, check it out, as they say. And so talk a little bit about uh, the day-to-day the -day operations of Woman Heart, what you're doing on the ground. Yeah, so um, we um, take women who have gone through their own heart journeys, whether that is surviving a heart attack, having a heart failure diagnosis, or, or any, anything in between, um, and we empower them to help other women. So we bring them to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. They get trained about the ins and outs of heart disease. They get to touch and feel and hold um, stents. And they get to see what what sort of balloons go in to, to widen uh, their arteries to have these things put in. Um, and they also importantly learn how to tell their story. Um, telling, being succinct and, and um, impactful in storytelling is really part critical, a critical part of what we do. Um, we also, so once these women are trained, they go back, we call them champions. Our champions go back into the communities um, that they live in and they have a presence at health fairs. They speak at their churches. Uh, they speak uh, in the companies that they work in um, and they participate in patient advisory panels. Uh, they are dynamic, passionate, committed, uh, and a joy to be around. Um, and then the last thing we do, and, and we, we do this, um, you know, with, with sort of a, a real genuine passion to change things for the better for all patients is we advocate and we bring our champions to the Hill here in Washington, D.C. Um, we insert ourselves where uh, there is implications for heart disease, whether that is maternal mortality. You know, that's a big topic uh, in, in healthcare policymaking. But what nobody talks about is that just underneath the headline of maternal mortality is heart disease. Women are dying of heart disease when they're dying, um, you know, through the pregnancy experience. Um, and we, I, if I can yeah, just interject, yeah, because I was, uh, we did a webinar on public policy and we were talking about some of this and that the fact that if you have complications of pregnancy, that can turn into a significant risk factor even down the road absolutely. for heart disease. And are very rarely... Um, are you told that? Exactly. So you can develop preeclampsia, um, high blood pressure during pregnancy, finish your pregnancy, have a beautiful baby, and then not be told that now you're at a much higher risk to develop heart disease down the line. Um, and so a number of our champions have had that exact experience mm. and are surprised when they are diagnosed with heart disease, not having been told that, oh, yeah, that thing that happened to you 10 years ago made you much more susceptible to heart disease in, in, sure. in your future years. Um, and so the, this process is both invigorating, I think, for us as an organization, for the patients, our champions, but also for the lawmakers who can hear directly from patients about you know, the challenges that they face and the ways that policy can make their lives better. 
So give a little bit more detail about what kinds of policies can actually move the needle. Yeah, so um, just as an example, uh, we participated in um, in various types of advocacy around uh, the legislation that was passed for COVID. There was uh, a bill that was uh, put, put before um, the House that would um, increase the... Um, the availability of medical leave for those who are at high risk. And we wanted to make sure that women with heart disease were included in that high risk category. Otherwise, women would be forced to go to work if they were an essential worker. Um, and so that's just a sh- like one example of something very concrete that we wanted to make sure heart heart disease patients, and obviously in our case, women with heart disease, were counted when it came to being a covered class of, of uh, individual uh, for um, improved or, or, or heightened levels of uh, medical leave. Are you also advocating for more research? We are specifically advocating for more research on heart disease in women. Um, and more than that, we are also advocating for um, a 50-50 gender split uh, in all clinical on in all clinical trials, because as you mentioned earlier, the vast majority of what we know about heart disease today is based on research done on men, and unfortunately, that has meant that the outcomes for women in heart disease um, have been less favorable. Uh, so, getting that balance right is is one of our priorities um, from an advocacy perspective. The groups of ambassadors that you have. Um, do you look for diversity as well? And you, are you also addressing some of the different challenges for different populations? Absolutely. So we have uh, embarked on a, a, a transformational uh, initiative within Women Heart uh, that is really focused on health equity. Um, when I came on as the CEO three and a half years ago, what I um, what I conveyed to the board is that Women Heart's community needs to reflect the community of risk of heart disease across the country, because it currently doesn't. Um, And so that means we need more women, African-American women from the South. We need more Latinos from the Southwest. Um, and frankly, we need more Asians. We, we have very few Asians represented um, in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, and, and this, this is also goes to speak to the fact that when we talk about risk factors, they show up a little bit differently in these populations. Yes. Um, and so when we, when we talk, we don't want to be generic anymore. We want to be, we want to make sure that we are addressing women where they are at, how they meet where they get their information from, who they who their role models are, and who the who the key influencers are and key voices are that that our communities listen to. And if someone is a heart disease survivor and wants to get involved with your ambassador program, how would they do that? Uh, they can go to our website, womenheart.org, and find all the information um, necessary to apply for um, our Women Heart Champions program. I mentioned that we have an in-person 
training uh, once a year. It happens in October at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, but next year, we are also going to kick off a, um, a an online version of the training for those who are not able to travel. We realize women with heart disease may not be able to travel so easily. Uh, and so having the ability to become a champion through a virtual training, we thought would really Im improve access uh, to the training, but then allow them to deliver services, support services uh, virtually as well, which is another advantage to, I think, what we ex we've experienced in the pandemic. And in addition to being a community educator, do you have any other ways that listeners can get involved with the organization? Absolutely, yeah. Um, we have folks who support um, other women through running support groups. We have we have women who we have champions who visit patients in the hospital. Um, we also are developing a program where you don't have to be a woman with heart disease to be part of our programming. Um, we've realized that there are other folks, whether they are family members or other caregivers, uh, or just folks who are really passionate about the topic. Um, who may want to get involved as well. And so I would say come back to womenheart.org and look out for that programming. Are you at all uh, working with the American Heart Association? We do um, work quite often with the American Heart Association, especially on advocacy issues. Uh, when we do, for example, um, Hill briefings here where we bring the heart disease community together, it's always in partnership with AHA. Um, their um, policy staff here in DC are, are fantastic to work with. Uh, we always go to the American Heart Association scientific sessions every year, and we were just there with them in Chicago. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of uh, the women in cardiology uh, folks that are, uh, you know, so passionate about this work um, are part of our scientific advisory council. Uh, so there's a lot of overlap between what AHA does in this work and what we do. Selena, how did you uh, come to uh, get involved with Women Heart and what is your background? So I um my background has largely been in global health and international health, um, having spent a few years in, in Angola and Africa uh, with the United Nations. Uh, just before coming to Women Heart, I ran uh, the Global Alliance for Chronic Diseases out of London for eight years uh, and spent some time in New York as well. You know, my passion for helping those uh, in, in, the, in the healthcare setting um, really goes back to um, the loss of my mom. We, we lost her when um, I was 18. She was 39. She died of colon cancer, oh my goodness. Uh, which is, you know, un unbelievable even when I think about it today. Um, but my sisters and I, I have two sisters, and we are all in the healthcare field. And I think we've all kind of decided that service is our family business um, and that we want to help other families um, not have the sorts of loss that, that we've had in our, in our family. Um, so I think about my mom a lot when I think about the work that I do. Uh, and when it comes from that place, uh, it's hard not to be passionate. That's an incredible legacy for your mom. Thank you. Thank you. What did I not ask you that you feel is important to discuss? So I would say we need, as, as women, we need to stop apologizing and start getting angry because this is a matter of justice. Um, we are talking about health inequity 
because we are being treated uh, to guidelines that were developed around research done on men. So it's, it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that our outcomes are slightly worse. So we need to demand better, better research, better access, and better belief and trust that women know what they're talking about. I totally endorsed everything that you just said, so thank you. <laughs> if you were to suggest one thing, or one action item that our listeners should take today to start being more healthy, what might you suggest? You know, um, can I do two? You can do three. Okay, so. <laughs> Go for it, the and then they can pick one. <laughs> I would say walk. That okay. walk, that uh, that is like, to me, the best thing you can do for yourself. You can always walk a little bit more and that will um, contribute to your heart health. Um, but the second thing is, I think we need to reconsider the power dynamic with our healthcare providers. Um, you know, I, I've heard far too many times women being told, yeah, it's nothing, you have anxiety, you should go home and rest. Um, and the best piece of advice I've gotten is when you're in that situation and you think something is something worse is happening to you, say to the doctor, will you please document that I asked for testing that you have denied me so that I'm on record having asked. And nine times out of 10, they will get that test. So it's just a point of accountability that I think we need to, again, reconsider this power dynamic when we are seeing our doctors. Selena Gore, CEO of Women Heart, thank you so much for coming in and talking with us today. Thank you. If you want to learn more about Women Heart, we'll have the link in our podcast notes. And you can find an article on heart health on our website at beyondthepapergown.com based on another interview I did with Dr. Amrita Carve, a women's heart doctor. You know, our mission at Beyond the Paper Gown is to inspire and engage women so that they can be their healthiest. So I'd like to ask you to help us reach more listeners by subscribing and rating us on your favorite podcast platform. And I thank you for doing so. Our podcast was produced by Patrick Shambayati and me, and our associate producer is Kyla McMillian. As always, thank you for listening and be well.